This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me once again this week here on the bridge of the NX-01 is Tommy Kraft. Tommy, welcome back. Hello, hello. Glad to be back on the bridge. Yeah, back on the bridge, right? Where have you been? Do you actually ever leave? You're just sort of here all the time. Have you been hanging out you know, <laughs> in the decon chamber or somewhere like that? Uh, I usually hang out in Flox's uh, uh, scanner because it's nice and quiet. <laughs> okay, just slide you right in there, and then it's nice and quiet. Oh, yeah. You can even <laughs> shut that door that comes down, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, nobody bothers you, except for Flox when he needs to use it. I wonder if it's kind of like Dr. Geiger's entertainment chamber that we just talked about <laughs> on the orb this past week when we did In the Cards. I, I don't remember that. Which one was that? It's uh, Yeah, it's an episode that a lot of people forget, and especially that part of the story. Most people remember it just as the episode where Jake and Nog chase a Willie Mays baseball card around the station trying to buy it for Benjamin. I remember that. Yeah, that's the part everyone remembers. Yeah, now there's this, there's this sort of crazy scientist in there who is trying to find a way to live forever. He's decided that death is simply caused by... Your the cells in your body becoming bored from doing the same thing day after day. So he has this chamber. It's like a cell regeneration and entertainment chamber that he's invented. Then, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what Flox's chamber becomes for me. Yeah, it could be. Maybe Flox is the origin of this idea, and it was lost for a long time. And then this Dr. Geiger, he uncovered the research and decided to run with it. See, I think this would have been a season five prequel episode Mm -hmm. uh, that we would have gotten if Enterprise hadn't been canceled. It would have been like how in season four, we got to see how the Klingons got their smooth foreheads. And in season (laughs) five, we would have gotten Dr. Geiger's entertainment chamber. I like it. I like it. That comes from Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. All the stuff that they would have done in season five. Yeah. All right. Well, today's episode is not about the entertainment chamber. We're actually going to talk about John Frederick Paxton. We've talked about Demons and Terra Prime on here before as a dedicated show. And of course, that's what I consider to be the actual end of Enterprise because I don't consider 
these are the voyages to actually be the finale of the show. So Enterprise was left hanging on this very interesting storyline with a very interesting character. Uh, One of those more complex villains, I guess, in Star Trek, John Frederick Paxton. I know, Tommy, that you really like this character. Tell, Tell me a little bit about what you find interesting about him. One of the things I like about him a lot is, aside from the fact that Peter Weller just played the character brilliantly, uh, but he kind of turns everything we expect from Star Trek's depiction of humans on its head, and it gives us a look at the other side of humanity, our darker side, And it's very reflective of a lot of the things we see in our current society. And I think it's a character that is very understandable. It it may not be someone that I agree with, but I certainly, in light of things that happen in our current society today, I, I understand his motivations. And I think it was very well written and, as I said, very well played by Peter Weller. Yeah, definitely. It, he talked about that role itself and and said basically what you just said there, of course, that it parallels a lot of what we see in the world today. When we think about Star Trek and we think about especially the 24th century, but even the 23rd century, that seems to have all been wiped out, at least where humans are concerned, for the most part. I mean, we see... Some things like with Chief O'Brien, you know, he feels this way about Cardassians, but of course he fought a war against the Cardassians. So he has some reasons beyond just simply being xenophobic or just wanting to get rid of all the aliens that are around. Even he rises above that, though, in a way that Paxton never would have. Yeah, that's right. So he's very different than Paxton. But you see like you see little glimpses of that in the 23rd, 24th century future, but nothing like what you see here with Paxton, which really is a lot like what we see in the world today. And you get the feeling, though, in Enterprise that it's a a resurfacing. So Paxton is the leader of this group, Terra Prime, that we had never heard about before, and certainly not in Star Trek. But when you get two demons in Terra Prime, and after the Zindi scare, the Terra Prime organization is really gaining a lot of momentum, even though it had been around for a few decades before this. I think it's like maybe like 20 years or so before this. But it's it's surfacing after humans have been frightened by the attack on Earth. Yeah, I think it's a very good indication of how fickle humans can be, because we are definitely given the impression in the episodes prior that for the most part, like 99%, humanity has evolved to pretty much where it is in the time of Kirk and Picard. And it's it's interesting because this is something that we talk about in, in even our oldest literature, how people tend to be very forgetful, and mm-hmm. in, at least in terms of the good things. I mean, even if you go back to something like the Bible, which is very, when it tells the story of Moses and the Israelites, how, how quickly they forget that, that God helped them. And even though 
he was so evidently, I mean, he parted the freaking waters and then suddenly they forget. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how even still today we're telling these kind of stories where we have this sudden event of the Zindi attack and all of a sudden people are clamoring in fear again and they're starting to forget the the good things about cultural exchange and and having these relationships with aliens and I think probably not necessarily as much Paxton I'm sure I, I feel like he is much more has it much more under control but I think a lot of the people that follow him are definitely the the scared masses and yeah. are kind of falling back into old ways, so to speak. Yeah, I definitely think that as well. I see him as sort of like the master of xenophobia, but he is he's playing on those people's fears, like you say. And he now we'll talk about in a moment sort of where some of his ideas come from, but just he is an individual if you're just watching his character, and I guess this is a good question for you because you write, if you're watching his character and you're just thinking about the motivations, the way that Peter Weller plays him in the episodes, for example, how do you see his motivations compared to those scared masses that are following him? That's a good question, and it's and it's one I am interested to hear your thoughts on too because you could, as an actor especially, you could take it either way. You could have him either be this evil mastermind who is completely aware of his motivations and is completely interested in only one thing, and that is power or dominance. Or you could actually play him as one of those scared masses who wants to to finally take charge and, and do something and, and become a leader. And I think... Paxton is played as more of the person who is definitely much more aware, but I feel like it's not just about the power for him, and I feel like he's also not necessarily as interested in killing everybody because he does give people, he does give the aliens a chance to leave. And so I think there is some part of him that's still human, but... I don't know. It's hard to say because he was also so cold about letting the baby die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting character in that way. And then, of course, the developments we find out about him later, and it leads you to question even more his motivations. Is he truly doing this because he really thinks aliens are a problem, or is he doing it because he thinks it's a means to an end? Right. And what that end would be, we don't really know for him since we didn't get to continue the storyline and find out what would happen there. I, Speaking of the baby, I think the case with the baby is that he didn't really see the baby as being a human or, or a being of any kind because he had the baby created just as a tool to make his point and to hold up as an example to support his beliefs that aliens would be the the undoing of hum, of, right. of the human race and of human purity and so it was just an object to him but this is the problem we see with so many people of Paxton's ilk mm-hmm. is they 
what makes it so much easier for them to dismiss the group that they don't like is they don't really see them as human. Exactly. Yeah. They they don't see themselves in that in that group of people. And I think you see this a lot with the not as much I mean you still see it, but certainly not as much as you did ten, twenty years ago with uh with the gay community or you see it a lot with certain religious sects who are very is xenophobic the right word exclusive about about other religions um it's you become you start viewing these things as as though they're not even these people you view them as though they're not even people anymore right right and and it becomes much easier to support your decisions that way yeah and it's very it's a very terrifying road to go on yeah and i think People is the right term here, so we don't mix right, up yeah. know, humans in this discussion because it is people. That's why I said being a moment ago. Right, but that's a good point. The The point that you make about the religions, I think, may tie into how I see Paxton because Peter Weller talking about the character, he described him as a misunderstood moralist. And he said, you can make your own qualitative assessments, but I never look at anybody as a villain. So he's not seeing himself as a villain. And the misunderstood moralist part, I think is sort of what he's going for here that, and, and you see this in the world all the time where someone has their own view of what's right and what's wrong. And they their goal may not be to harm other people per se, but if you don't agree with them and what they feel is the correct course of action, the correct way of life or whatever, then you're dead to them and they will brush you aside because the world has to fit into their box that they've decided that everything should fit into this box. And I think that with Paxton, that's pretty much where he is, that he he does give the aliens an opportunity to leave. He's not so much angry at the aliens per se, like I must annihilate all aliens, it's just you don't have a place in this box that is the world as I see it. So you need to leave. And if you don't leave, then I will destroy you to get rid of you. That, that's a very good point. And the seeing him as the misunderstood moralist, I think, is very important because as an actor, especially when you're playing the quote unquote villain, you almost always have to play him as the hero to yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't look at the character as the actor. You can't look at your own character and say, oh, this guy's a piece of trash. You have to look at the character and understand the character and identify with the character in a way so that you can play that character truly. And it is a almost and it's one of the things I thought about when thinking about this discussion is that his motivations do seem very almost religious in a way and mm-hmm. that it's it's a very strict code that he adheres to and the the way you describe it about you know it's you the way you see a lot of uh religious fundamentalists who on the gay issue for example will often say that you know hey we don't hate gay people we don't think that gay people should begrudge be begrudge the right to live but at the same time 
we think with their the way that they view sexuality is completely wrong and it's harmful and they shouldn't be allowed to live here or do this or do that. Mm -hmm. And so they have to go. Mm -hmm. And already you start dehumanizing those people. And it's, it's a very, very steep, slippery slope at that point. And I think Paxton is very much, has very much gone down that slope. And it's interesting because the uh the other character i can't even think of his name now the the guy who's in charge of the uh the summit mm-hmm. um is almost kind of paxton's opposite i think because they both started from the same point of having an issue with aliens mm-hmm. but paxton kept going but the other guy stopped it and became a better person mm-hmm. well wh- while i think it does parallel religious views in some ways it, that's not necessarily the root, though, for Paxton. In an interesting tie-in to past Star Trek, filling in blanks of someone we didn't know much about, Paxton is actually a disciple of Colonel Green, who we get to see in The Savage Curtain at the end of the original series. But we don't know much about him. He's just one of the baddies that the Excalbion conjures up you know, for the battle between good and evil. But what we do know is Colonel Green was a militia leader during World War III. And he, it, after the war, there were a lot of humans who had radiation sickness. And of course, that's going to cause gene mutations. And Green did not want those mutations to be passed on to future generations of humans. So he actually killed all these people. And, and that kind of view of wanting to maintain purity and to get rid of something that would mutate and change what mankind is, what humans are as beings, is what carried over to Paxton. But in Paxton's case, it's not radiation sickness, something happening inside the body per se. It's the influence of outside forces and and these aliens. Right. It's it's once again taking the view of the moral, the misunderstood moralist, and he's afraid that the that it would be immoral because humanity is going to lose any sense of itself in extended dealings with aliens and commingling with aliens. He's afraid that that much like with the mutation from the radiation, which would if it were bad enough, would cause humanity to die out. This will, in a way, also cause humanity to die Mm -hmm. because it's going to just become so diluted with alien DNA that it will essentially be no more, and all of our culture and all of our history will be lost within this sea of mixed co-bred DNA. Mm -hmm. And you could even take it a step further and say that Paxton's sense of self has, you know, what is it that's important to him is that it's very humanity is is, being human is very important to him. And it's actually Mm going to the way he sees it is it's like losing a part of himself. You know, the creation of the baby from genetic material from Tripp and T'Pol was his way of showing people what, what you're saying here. You know, if human DNA is diluted by being mixed with alien DNA. But do you think that's all it is for him, or is it also the loss of a cultural identity with all the influence of aliens being on Earth? 
I think there's definitely that too. Um, but I think the more important thing for him is that humanity as a species remain because he is very interested in, in human dominance for lack of a better word, I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm curious too, there's a contradiction with Paxton that I find, well, it doesn't surprise me because we certainly see this in people all the time, but at the same time, that he's killing people, uh, threatening others, and trying to get rid of, of all the aliens, make them all leave Earth and the whole area there with uh, the moon, Mars, whatever. He himself is alive because of aliens, because he has this disease called Taggart's syndrome, and he relies on Rigelian gene therapy to treat the Taggart syndrome. So what's his plan? I mean, is he going to get rid of all the aliens, but keep a channel open with the Rigelians so that he can, is he going to keep one doctor behind? Is this guy somehow, that this guy got a pass into his box, the world that I've talked about before? I would imagine he probably didn't really plan it out that much because we do, as you said, we do see this all the time. And one of the big ways we see it is, is again, going back to sexuality, you find so many people that are very, very adamantly anti-gay mm-hmm. or, for instance, anti-premarital sex. And then or just anything. I mean, like people that I would consider, and they're usually politicians, at least they're, right, the, ones yeah, exactly. you, they're, they're the ones you hear talking about it because they're on television, but they're like ultra prudish in, in my eyes. Yeah. But I know where I know where you're going with this, right? Yeah, and then and then you find out that you know they get caught when they're high on drugs and with someone of the same gender or right. whatever yeah. the issue is, mm-hmm. and uh, it's I think it's this cognitive dissonance that we as humans have where we have a very strongly held belief on something and we think that it really is the truth and really is the right way. But we also have an inclination to do the opposite of that belief. Mm-hmm. And so what actually happens is 99% of the time, we wind up praising, or not necessarily praising, but we wind up purporting this thing that we shouldn't, We the, the idea that we shouldn't do this, and then doing it in secret and purporting it even more that we shouldn't do it. And we just wind up feeling guilty really guilty most of the time Mm -hmm. and i think that that is the same way that paxton would end up being i think it he still genuinely feels that aliens don't have a place in human society and i think he would probably genuinely say that you shouldn't get alien gene therapy and i think that he probably also genuinely feels guilty every time he takes that shot but his movement needs him and he has to stay alive one way or another, and it's a means to an end. So so you feel he's staying alive just because the movement needs him rather than he just wants to continue living on, regardless of whether there's any Terra Prime movement that he's the leader Oh, no, of. not at all. I think that's what he tells himself. Yeah. I think he I th- I think he definitely just wants to keep living. Uh-huh. But I think what he tells himself is, well, my movement needs me and nobody else is going to be able to lead them like mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll have to keep doing this gene therapy even though it makes me feel terrible. 
And so by by taking alien genes when he's telling everyone else that all the aliens need to leave because they're going to destroy us, he's viewing that as something that he must do, or at least telling himself that it's something that he must do for the greater good. Like, I'm compromising my own beliefs just so I can help everyone else, even though that's not really what he's doing. Yeah, I I think that's what it is. And it goes back to not only as an actor of playing the hero, but how we like to view ourselves. We, generally speaking, like to view ourselves as good people with good reasons to do things. Mm -hmm. And even if we know deep down that we're lying to ourselves, it tends to make our tends to make us feel better when we can rationalize to ourselves why we're doing something that we know or think we shouldn't do. Yeah, exactly. So having him in the in the show here, I think is it's actually a very interesting move in having this angle of the Rigelian gene therapy because it to me anyway with all the things we've been talking about here, it makes him a more real character than we typically see in a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, I agree completely. It makes him someone that's more relatable because we can all, we all have heard the stories about the politician or the religious leader or what have you that has very been very vehemently saying something and then doing the opposite. And I think this is a very strong way to connect Paxton to humanity of our time. And is another way that Enterprise really did that well that maybe other shows didn't do quite as well where the villain, I think, just became more villainous and, and less human with more human motivations. What do you think about his violent tendencies the way he's acting out here. We already talked about it a little bit in the fact that he does give the aliens a chance to leave. And, and not just violent tendencies, but I think questionable means. that The whole idea of taking genetic material from Tripp and Paul and creating a baby, I mean, this, this is an actual living being that he's created here. I, I was going to say for me, but I'm sure it is for anyone thinking about it. But it's just a line that, how do you cross that line? I think a lot of times when we get to crossing lines, it's something that we've built up to. We've crossed many, many, many smaller lines before this. And it, it kind of goes to, I, I hear a lot of stories mainly from just from religious friends that they say something like if you ever uh have if you ever watch a dirty scene in a movie or porn or something then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you become this raging addict or if you ever have one drink of alcohol you you're suddenly out on the street homeless because you became an alcoholic and you beat up everyone you knew and the reality is I think for people who become that low, to reach that low of a point in their life, it's because a lot has happened. A lot of other events have happened that led up to that. And so I think in Paxton's case that it's he's now reached the point where he doesn't feel that there's a moral dilemma anymore. Maybe a young Paxton, 20-year-old Paxton wouldn't have done that. Mm 
But now I think he views himself as much more seasoned, having much more realistic views of the world and of what life is and what life should be. And it's a decision that he's much more okay with making because that's just how we are as people. The older we get, there's a lot of decisions that we can make that we wouldn't have made when we were mm-hmm. younger. It's true, but in questionable decisions and reckless decisions, I feel like we do have a tendency, though, to maybe do those things when we're younger and not do them when we're older. I think it depends on the kind of reckless decision it is mm-hmm. or the kind of questionable questionable decision, like riding your motorcycle without a helmet. I yeah. think you tend to find, you know, a younger person will be much more likely to do that. Mm-hmm. But perhaps a person who has made more morally questionable decisions mm-hmm. would or or decisions that they think are more morally questionable, like the issue of sexuality, what you think yourself is morally questionable. You don't start out at the end of being a rapist, for example, usually. It's something that has kind of been built up to, I think, mm, in many cases. Yeah, I would agree on that point and, when you see cases like that. Mm. Yeah, and so I think in the case of Paxton, where he's creating this life, not only does he not really see it as life, he sees it as an abomination. Yeah. It's a, it's a kind of a culmination point of many questionable decisions that he's made, uh, starting at this point of wanting to preserve humanity and now getting to the Colonel Green point of wanting to perhaps exterminate people or mm-hmm. have no respect for life. It becomes more about the cause than than anything else. Well, he picked up on something that Colonel Green said in a speech that he gave, which was reject the impure and cast it out. So that's what he's picked up on. And it definitely right. he's viewing the baby as an abomination at that point. And when you view it that way, when you view it that way, it's a lot easier too, Mm -hmm. because you can then disconnect yourself from from any sort of humanity you see in it, from any sort of yourself you see in it. It's no longer another person, another being. It's an abomination. It's also the core, I think, of what you see in a lot of films about artificial intelligence stories Mm -hmm. in general, Mm -hmm. of people being the two sides of the conflict, the people who are okay with treating the machines poorly and the people who aren't because they don't see the machines as any sense of life. It's just a machine. And so at what point do we make the distinction between machine and man? And I think Paxton's at the same place. At what point do you make the distinction between person and abomination? Mm -hmm. Well, what about the extremes he goes to of actually trying to destroy Starfleet Command? I don't think he, I I would say that because he gave them a timeline, Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to do at his core. I don't think he wanted to end a bunch of lives, but I think he was definitely willing to do it for the cause. And also because he sees Starfleet Command as the enemy. Even in war, we tend to bomb or shoot enemy combatants but given the chance, we still don't want to kill them if they're defenseless. We would still rather take prisoners or let them run away, etc. 
than mm-hmm. kill defenseless people, even if we completely disagree with everything they stand for. And so I think Paxton tends to view this as a war, almost. He views it as a war, and these people, he's giving them a chance to leave the front, to go to essentially escape uh, the danger. But if they don't, then they're just casualties of war at that point. He gave them their chance, so then he can absolve himself of the morality of the issue. Mm-hmm. It's just it's interesting to me that it, it feels like his ideology has picked up speed and it's almost and it's almost out of control at that point because while there are going to be some aliens in San Francisco and around Starfleet Command he's going to be killing a lot of humans the people who he claims to be doing this for in the first place well isn't that always the way it is with extremists though when you really mm-hmm. think about it yeah it's it's not even rational really at that point but you again begin to rationalize it to yourself. They're just the casualties. It's it's the way I think a a suicide bomber would feel about it. It's that there there are quote unquote innocent people, but they're not really innocent, are they? They're allowing these aliens to be here. They are they are themselves diluting humanity yeah. with all this alien DNA. And so yeah, they're innocent, but not completely. Yeah, it it depends on the people to me because yeah, it does. Like when I look around the world today, uh, you know, you have extremists who they want to hold, for example, all Americans responsible for the actions of their government. And you know, the way I view these situations, because I'm not really a big believer in the whole nation-state concept myself in the 21st century. It, me either. It's uh, something that feels like, you know holding on to those divisions, maybe holding us back a bit, but yeah. people want to hold everyone responsible for the actions of a government. When in reality, I mean, people know that we have very little control over the actions of our government, even in the best democracies. You can vote, your voice may or may not be heard, but once those people get into office, you really have very little influence over what's going on. So I would argue in the case of what Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay. And I don't know if, I guess George and Gracie aren't there, right, in the 22nd century, so they're okay. But <laughs> but firing there, I mean, that's going to destroy much of the city Starfleet Command is in San Francisco, but not everyone in San Francisco is part of Starfleet. So he's actually going to be killing lots of people who have nothing to do in any way with the fact that aliens are on Earth. Yeah, I think, though, that we tend to um, we tend to group people together by border or by general belief. And yeah, so, for instance, with with a lot of this conflict in the Middle East, the conflicts with Israel and Palestine, you have, I think most people, if you really sit down and talk with them logically, would not say that everybody in that area is the problem. But then when you con- when you talk a lot of times about the conflict as a whole, they say, bomb the heck out of the place. Right, because they're and, just viewing it as some place far away and... They're not even really thinking about the people that are there. Right. And there's an episode, too, of Enterprise, the one where uh, the communicator, actually, where they go down to that planet and lose the communicator and Archer and Reed Mm -hmm. wind up getting put in prison and all that. And at one point in the episode, someone makes comment about how the people are 
are so unfriendly. They're they're not kind to Archer and Reed and, mm-hmm. and all the crap they have to go through. And Archer says, well, I'm sure they're not all like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a very mature way to look at it because it's realizing that there are good apples and there's bad. And it's very hard for us to remember that sometimes. And I think a lot of this Terra Prime stuff uh, very directly speaks to that. Well, what do we think about Paxton's legacy? What is Paxton's legacy within Enterprise? Because it got cut short, and then because in These Are the Voyages, we actually get to see the ceremony. So we know that everyone came together. The Coalition of Planets was founded. Eventually, the Federation is going to be founded as well. Is Paxton's legacy bringing to light the the danger of extremism and xenophobia that that helped humans finally cast that off so that we get to what we see in the rest of Star Trek where it does seem like it's been snuffed out? I would hope so, but I would also hope had the show went on, they would have dealt with this more because I think even though the main issue had been put to rest, I think there would still be a large group of stragglers that would carry on in Paxton's ideology. Mm-hmm. And I think that would definitely have to be dealt with. And they might even be more dangerous now that Paxton is dead. They might mm-hmm. be a smaller group, but they might be more dangerous. Okay. That's interesting thinking about if Enterprise had gone on a little bit longer because Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, they co-wrote Terra Prime. And they wanted to actually have Paxton die. But then Manny Cota wanted to have him live on to continue to be a threat. So you're in the camp with Manny Cota probably then that he would continue to be a threat because if he actually had been killed off, like Judith and Garfield suggested, that could have actually strengthened Terra Prime going into, say, a fifth or sixth season of Enterprise. Yeah, I think it definitely could have, especially because they would have been able to blame his death on the aliens. The mm. the alien, the Starfleet, the organization that is so kind to aliens has now killed this man who is a who they think is a moral, uh, moral leader. But having him alive also offers a lot of opportunities for future storylines as well. Yeah, and I actually would have, I just because I like Peter Weller so much, I would have loved to see that character return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's it's really sad to me that, that I mean, if you're going to go out, and at this point, they knew that they were canceled because Peter Weller also has mentioned in an interview before that he finally decided that, okay, I'll do these stories because they're going to be the last two episodes of Enterprise filmed. That's why he said, I guess these are the voyages would have still been filmed. But of course, it all takes place on a holodeck anyway. So how much filming? So he... <laughs> he would yeah right yeah so he wouldn't have been interested in doing it if they had continued on the show i don't know if that would have really been the case but one of the enticements that manny koto threw out there to him was that if you do this then i'll also have you come and direct a couple of episodes of enterprise in the fifth season and then they found out well the show's not going to come back so that incentive was then off the table but then the next incentive was, you know, these are going to be the last two episodes that we film, uh, as he put it, on Planet E. So he decided to come over because he's apparently 
not a science fiction fan and not a Star Trek fan. And Manny Cotto actually wrote the character of John Frederick Paxton specifically for Peter Weller to play. Oh, interesting. And then asked him, I, I want to write this for you and I want you to come over and play it. Will you come on Enterprise and play this role I'm going to write for you? And apparently it took a lot of work to get him to finally yeah. agree to do it. <laughs> Uh, which is interesting to me because as we go into the final thoughts here, I also really like this character because he's a complex villain who, of course, doesn't see himself as a villain. And he believes that what he's doing is right. Now, I look at it and think that it's absolutely wrong. And I'm on the side of the Enterprise crew and of, of Starfleet right. here. But Paxton really believes that what he's doing is for the greater good of humanity. We talked about what his motivation was earlier, and I don't think that he's a power-hungry person. I think he really believes either. that what he's doing is right, which is the same thing with Admiral Marcus in Into Darkness. He really believes, I mean, he's a bad admiral for sure, <laughs> but he does believe that he's doing this for the ultimate greater good of the Federation. Right. And it's that story of how far do you descend into madness before it overtakes you? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting because him not being a fan of sci-fi reminds me of a comment I heard uh, Edward James Olmos make mm -hmm. about Admiral Dama. Mm -hmm. And it's that he wasn't a big sci-fi fan and they wondered why they wanted him. And he eventually, after deciding to take the role, he what he liked about Battlestar was is was that it was this great study of the human condition of how right. would how would we act or, or view ourselves in this in this situation. And I think the character of Paxton would appeal to those sensibilities as well for mm -hmm. an actor, especially because he's not just a power hungry villain. He he has very clear motivations i think for what he's doing and he feels like what he's doing is the right thing even though it, we we believe it's not the right thing you know it's interesting because that's what science fiction is and so when you hear actors who say i'm not a science fiction fan i always kind of wonder about that like what do they think science fiction is do they think it's all just space battles and you know lightsabers and i, I don't know because it is. It's a study of human condition, and that's it. Re it reminds me of things I've heard Patrick Stewart talk about when he, at the time when he first started doing the Next Generation, having been such an acclaimed Shakespearean actor, and people would say to him, "Well, why would you do this sci-fi stuff instead of Shakespeare?" And he would find it very offensive. I think rightfully so, because a lot of people seem to have this opinion that sci-fi is lesser storytelling mm -hmm. or that it's just some kind of surface level space battles and crazy looking aliens and silly stuff but there is a much deeper level especially if it's well written in the case of these enterprise episodes to what's going on it's it becomes a study of of the possibilities of the human condition and what we would be like in these situations and I think for sure that if we uh, if we get to a point where we're interacting with aliens consistently, that we will certainly have John Frederick Paxton's running around trying oh, yeah. to trying to make us 
recede more back into our own borders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I find it interesting that the roles that Peter Weller played here, Paxton and Admiral Marcus, both are, are great examples of highlighting. It, it's they're very very similar, actually. Paxton and Admiral. Yeah, Marcus, they very similar. Yeah, but but he played them both think, really well. I think. Yeah, he did, and I think Admiral Marcus is less xenophobic, and it's interesting too with that character because he's interested in maintaining the peace with war, yeah, and. And Paxton is interested in maintaining human strength through alien uh, alien health care on himself. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. they and both have a connection. through violence, though. Yeah, through violence, too. Well, for him, I don't think he's as much about peace, but as but because I think the, the impression I got from Marcus is he wanted to maintain the peace that the Federation had, mm-hmm. and he was willing to use violence to do it. Whereas Paxton, I think peace isn't necessarily what he's worried about, but just maintaining the human image mm-hmm. through whatever means necessary. Well, I, I'm glad we picked this topic today. It was a very interesting discussion here. Again, we have talked about demons and terror prime before, so maybe this will be a good companion to that. We talked about Paxton some in there, but we, of course, talked about the overall storyline that was going on. So uh, thanks for dropping by for this, Tommy, today. And tell everyone where they can find you and, of course, what else you've got going on. Well, the main thing I've got going on is I am a filmmaker and I'm working on Star Trek Horizon, which is an Enterprise-era fan film. And you can find me there. That's basically what I do. So we have StarTrekHorizon.com. And we have our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash sthorizon. I also have a Twitter on which I occasionally tweet. And my handle is Tommy G Dog. That's T-O-M-M-Y-G-D-A-W-G. Excellent. So everyone, go check that out. Go check out what Tommy is doing with Horizon there. You'll definitely love it as an Enterprise fan. So Tommy, I will let you go and go get back to your green screens. Thank you. It was fun to be here, and I look forward to coming back again. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our talk about John Frederick Paxton today here on Warp 5, and thanks to Tommy, as always, for dropping by. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And, like, we were so busy, we didn't eat, like, all day. (laughs) I had yeah. a Red Bull around 5 o'clock, right before the parsecs. Uh, I could feel my teeth, like, tingling. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. Earl Grey. He was robbing the bocle, as, a, as they say it in, a, in Klingon. <laughs> I, that's a Klingon word I just made up, just, just so you know. I think we could tell. The orb. What I also liked, too, was that Nog said, put that in there, too, to Jake, and let people decide. And that just summed up DS9 for me, because DS9 is... You know, we're not going to tell you for sure he's a bad captain, even though obviously I think most people would agree that he was. To the journey! Oh yeah, Balana's reading romantic fanfic. Not everything is fanfic, okay? This yes, could it be is. a legitimate author with a legitimate publisher. <laughs> no, this is Klingon Harlequin. You know it is. Warp 5. The Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society, and there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men 
and how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this and we find out more and more. The Ready Room. You know, people have seen that image. That, that image in particular, just that still of her with the Desilu yeah. logo over it, is really iconic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what I discovered is it's not a still. It's probably 26 different stills. Commentary, Trek stars. A number of scenes uh, from especially the end of Into Darkness are sort of lifted and adapted from Wrath of Khan to be used in this story. Lifted and Google translated into this version. Literary Treks. We all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the, the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. Continuing mission. How is Spock changing? How is he changed from the moment he met Captain Kirk from the, the, the non-mirror universe? What is his ultimate goal? Axanar, the official podcast. So basically you've got this souped up computer with this lens on the front of it. And um, because the resolution has increased so much with these cameras, the amount of data coming out of that camera is enormous. And join us in welcoming aboard Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, uh, just every time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I would. Who wouldn't want to go? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So tune into all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new shows for you every single day of the week. You can get them everywhere that you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the Trek Film Complete Master Feed, you can get all of these shows plus some other content in one single feed in your podcast application. It's a great way to check out all the things we're talking about here on the network. Speaking of getting your podcasts, if you are streaming from our website and you're an Apple user, take a moment and hit the subscribe button in iTunes for us. That really helps us out here at Warp 5. The way iTunes works is that it depends on ratings, for one thing, how many reviews you have, also lifetime subscriptions. Those are factors that play into how you rank in search results. So when other Enterprise fans are in there looking for Star Trek Enterprise podcasts, if you can hit that subscribe button, it really does help us out a lot here on the network and here on the show. So uh, please take a moment and do that. And also, if you have an extra minute, I'd love for you to leave a star rating and a written review of the show. I love to hear from you. And as I just mentioned, that also does play into how the show ranks in search results. If you're interested in some other ways that you can help us out here at Warp 5, there are a couple of things that you can do. One is to become a patron of the network. One is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Patreon is a lot like Kickstarter, but instead of a single project, it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a monthly basis. So if you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can see our goals and you can see different milestone contribution levels that we have, and you can set an amount that you would like to contribute each month. Now we have a lot of great perks for you in exchange for your contributions, your monthly support. Those are all outlined there on the page. Of course we have things like digital wallpapers, but we also have great things like associate producer credits. And in fact, I would like to welcome aboard Norman C. Lau as an associate producer of Warp 5. 
Norman has become a great contributor to Trek FM and a big supporter of us on Patreon. And I'm really glad that he's here. And I hope that others will go and check this option out as well because it's a way for you to help you know, guide content. In fact, we have a group in our project management system for content development. And Norman is in there as well as others who have contributed to that level on Patreon. Those include Lisa Stevens, Ruth Ward, and Renee Roberts. And I really, really thank them for their support. And you can be in there too. Go check it out at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trekafilm. It's a great way to help us out. And I really appreciate anything that you can do. Even $1 makes a big difference for us here at Trek FM. Of course, another way that you can help us out, if you're not already an Audible customer, is to support our sponsor, Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere. I really do mean that. I've been a customer for 14 years. I listen to Audible books every single day. Of course, I listen to Star Trek books and I listen to science fiction, but I also listen to business books and marketing books and things about design, all the different things that play into the work that I do each day. They have all kinds of stuff over on Audible. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying the service. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up, you can choose any book you want absolutely free. Then if you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial, there's nothing to lose because you'll get to keep that book. But when you try Audible, the money that we get from them really makes a difference in our ability to produce shows and host them and get them out to you. So please go try them out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Now, Tommy and I would love to know what you think about John Frederick Paxton. Do you think that he was just out for power? Do you think that he really believed that what he was doing was for the better of humanity? Would love to know. There are many ways for you to get in touch with us. If you go to our website at trek.afilm slash contact, there's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to me by email. You can also find us in social media. Trek FM is our username on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Trek FM is our main page on Facebook. But we also have a new listeners discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. This is a replacement for the forums that used to be on our website, and you can get there in a couple of ways. You can go to our website and click Discussion on the menu bar, or you can go to Facebook and type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search bar. It'll come right up. It is a closed group because it's designed for listeners of the show. It's a place where you can come and have meaningful and respectful discussion about Star Trek. You know, we're trying to to steer clear of the arguing, the JJ bashing, all that kind of stuff that so often happens in these forums, and really talk about Star Trek the way we do here on the shows on the network. So if you're a listener, I hope you'll come over there and join us. I tell you today, I just as I, before I'm recording this here, I spent about an hour just talking about Star Trek with listeners there on the Facebook page. There are so many people contributing, and my notifications are just going off constantly. So I do hope you'll come join us over there. Just go there, click join. That'll send me a notification, and I'll let you into the group. Unless I'm asleep here in Tokyo, because remember that my days are reversed from all of you guys listening over there in the States, and they're semi-reversed from all of my friends there in Europe. But I will let you in as soon as I get the notification. And then beyond that group on Facebook, if you would like to talk to me personally, I would love to chat with you about Star Trek. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. 
I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash cbrianjones, and I have my website at cbrianjones.com. So feel free to hit me up in those places, especially on Twitter. That's where I really am most of the time and like to chat uh, when I'm not in the Babel Conference group, of course, on Facebook. So send me a note and let me know what you want to talk about. I'll be happy to talk about Star Trek or college football or Japan or whatever it is. I love to chat on Twitter. So uh, drop me a line there. Then elsewhere on the network, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Star Trek, I do a lot of shows. I do Literary Treks, The Orb, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, and also I co-host and produce the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator Alec Peters. So if you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes of a, a truly professional quality Star Trek production, with actors that you know, you know, like J.G. Hertzler and Gary Graham from Enterprise, and of course Tony Todd and Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica. Tune into that. It's really, really interesting to find out what's going on behind the scenes with all the creatives. All right, well, that is our show for today. I really appreciate you tuning in, and of course, I thank Tommy for dropping by the bridge here of the NX01 as he does so often. And I hope you'll join me again next time here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>